I'll say a scripture backwards. Death has no more dominion over him. He has trampled death with his own death. He has conquered that enemy of the human race and his enemy. Death is an anomaly. You must actually accept Jesus' perspective that death is an enemy. It's not a friend. It's not natural. The source of life says, no, it is an enemy to me. And that's why I sent my son to reverse things out of death and back to life with me. Death is not a friend of God. Don't ever normalize death. Death is terrible. We try to pat it on the back and make it smooth and nice and beautiful at our funerals. It's terrible. Jesus came to deal with death. When he told Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he sneered and he was ready to go at death because death is an enemy. And he said, Lazarus, rise. And he rose from the dead. Death is not okay with God. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen in fact. He is risen because of empirical evidence that so many eyewitnesses have actually substantiated that they saw him alive from the dead, that no human being who takes a good look at history would say he's not risen from the dead. He is risen in fact. Indeed, he's alive. It's based on empirical evidence. If you court examine all those eyewitnesses, there's no judge that would say he's not risen from the dead. They would say he's risen from the dead. Every single judge that would cross-examine hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw him alive from the dead over and over again for 40 days would never say he's not risen from the dead. We jump right into this. The title of this message is <laughs> Jesus' resurrection is for real. Truly he is risen. For real he has risen. He is risen right here, right now, alive. You think, well, where is he? <laughs> he sent his Holy Spirit. He said, I must go so that he must come. When he went, the Holy Spirit pours out from the throne and is sent out to all the earth. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as being seven spirits of God. That is the complete presence of God leaving the throne and coming to this world and touching different lives from every nation and every generation. He could do it simultaneously. He can knock on doors all day long, 24 hours a day. He can touch lives and save lives in a moment if they would just be receptive to him. Jesus paid a huge price to release this gift, this promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And Right there, right now, you know, when John was in Patmos and yet he was in the Spirit and he saw Jesus, this revelation of the Lord actually interacting. It's not some sort of vision. He interacted within the vision. There are visions where you see pictures to understand things. And there are visions where you actually interact with beings, whether it's the Lord or angels. And he interacted with the living Christ. He fell down like a dead man. And Jesus, once again, this, don't be afraid. It's me. The first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the one who was dead, but now I'm alive again forevermore. He's alive. Right there in the midst of all the worship, 
four living creatures, seraphs with six wings and eyeballs all over, overwhelmed by the infinite glory of God, hiding their faces, hiding their feet, worshiping Him day and night. You think that's boring. They can't not be overwhelmed because it's not a boring, limited glory. It's an infinite glory. They're overwhelmed. They're too close to the throne. they got to hide their faces, and they say, Holy, 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 24-7. And then 24 thrones and elders. We don't know who these elders are. We've never met them. But they fall down and cast their crowns and they worship. That's a second circle. And then the third circle, it speaks of millions of angels swirling around. We're talking about all of creation going outwards. One throne, one God, the Father who sits on the throne. How do I know it's the Father? Because Revelation 5 says, in the midst of the throne, between the throne and the one who sits there, and in the midst of the four living creatures and the 24 elders. In the midst of that, we have a mediator, a great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who was slain for us. With His blood, He purchased people from every nation, tribe, and generation. And He has made us a kingdom and priests to serve our God forever. Do you know that the heavenly creatures in the original Greek are the ones saying, He purchased us. No, he purchased us, the human race. No, he actually paid a payment to purchase the entire creation. Yes, his redeeming blood for the human race is because of their sins and their guilt, and he bought them out of that bondage to save them and deliver them and liberate them out of death and into glory and life with God forever. But all of creation is not disconnected from that. We all have experienced the redemption blood, when they sing this new song in heaven, they're thinking not just of us, but also of themselves. The new creation is angels and mankind under one king and head, Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of Christ. God has centered it all on this one king. He will come and rule in the future over all of creation. It'll be a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Headquarters of God constructed in heaven will come down like a bride on earth. He will establish his throne on earth and he will reign for a thousand years and then the new creation will come the restoration of all things and all we're told in his invitation is repent change your mind turn around come to God be cleansed be freed and experience times of refreshing in the presence of God and be made ready for the return of Christ who's coming to restore all things that's Acts 3 19 to 21 I guess we're really off this page. Okay. <laughs> okay, what are we doing here today? We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Rob wanted us to share during the worship. Well, I guess I shared during the sermon what I wanted to share in the worship time. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're only going to look at 12 verses, a little bit of a context. Paul is saying, you know, to the Corinthians, to these Greeks, you heard the gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ who died on account of our sins and rose from the dead and ascended back to glory with so many eyewitnesses. It's amazing. He begins to list all these eyewitnesses to substantiate that it's a fact. And then 
he begins to deal with these Greeks. You know, the Greeks are thinkers, and sometimes your thinking can get you into some real trouble. A lot of people like having coffee these days and rethinking Christianity and inventing another more exciting kind of Christianity that really goes off the rails. The only Christianity that exists is the Christianity according to Jesus Christ, his words. Never undo his words. Never change what he says about things. There are doctrines being created right now that make people feel better about how they think of things. Never change his words. I won't go into all the doctrines, but pay attention to what he says before you go to how you think about and how you feel about things. Because that might be an idolatrous teaching replacing what he said. Don't change it. So we got these Greeks. You know, it's a Christian church, but not without issues, just like any church. You see him dealing with the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Churches have issues. And the Lord has no problem loving them and discipling them and disciplining them and correcting them, rebuking them, because he wants them to realign with him. The word of God itself realigns us with God so that we're actually not off, but in alignment going forward with him. And here he's dealing with these Greeks some maybe didn't believe at all that Christ had risen, even though it's so convincing that he has when you take a good look at it, especially during their time, so close to the resurrection. Eyewitness is still alive. We saw him alive from the dead, they're saying. We're witnesses of these things. We saw, we're eyewitnesses. And then on the other side, they're saying, okay, well, maybe he, the Son of God, yeah, he had the power to lay down his life like he said he wouldn't take it up again because he has the power to do so. Maybe that happened, but... Then they somehow in their thinking disconnected Jesus' resurrection from us being raised from the dead and receiving immortal, undying, incorruptible, glorious bodies like his as he said we would, as the Bible says we will. Somehow they said, well, we believe maybe that Jesus rose from the dead, but there's not going to be a resurrection of people rising from the dead and getting these new bodies and never dying. Bodies that can handle the glory that those, those heavenly creatures block their faces from and survive. Moses was told you would die if you see that glory. We're going to have bodies that can actually see him, look upon him, and stay alive and not be undone. We're talking about amazing things beyond what we normally talk about, which is the salvation. The salvation is a, a small program, an age of salvation. It's limited. Where it's all going is what we need to think about beyond the salvation. Okay, we've been freed. We've been reassured we're going to be okay. We're not going to be condemned on the day of accounts. But where is this all going? That's what I'm going to focus on. But we've got to get through some of these weird things that the Corinthians were saying that Paul actually echoes them and then he undoes them. Echoes them and he undoes them. He's like, Do you, are you guys thinking straight? You're believers and you're thinking this? And so that's what we're looking at. Verse 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ, verse 12, is proclaimed, kirigo, heralded, announced, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Maybe some of them were saying Jesus didn't rise and some of them were saying People, we've never heard of this. It's never happened before. People don't get new bodies. Some of them were even thinking, good riddance. I'm out of that body that was sick my entire life. I had a disease or whatever I had, diabetes. 
good riddance. I'd rather just be a floating spirit forever. They, some of them had these kinds of ideas that they were trying to mix into this. It's like Paul is, no! He did not come down from heaven, become human, lay down his life at the cross, go down in his death to Hades, the world of the dead. The one who dwelled in unapproachable light became the light of the world and the light of the world of the dead. He didn't do that for nothing. He preached to the captive souls down there with resurrection power. He rose up and ascended back to glory. He was already in glory. He didn't need to do that for himself. He did it for humanity. He did it for the human race. He is the first human to rise from the dead so that when we hear about a resurrection hope, it's based on fact. We see it in him, and he's saying, what you see in me, I did this for you. So don't disconnect my resurrection from your resurrection. This was for you. I didn't need to do this for myself. For you to have a hope of a glorious future. They call it the hope of glory in Romans 12. Our adoption is not complete, it says in Romans 12. It's only begun. You've received the Holy Spirit. You've been born twice. Naturally, supernaturally is the second birth. If you're born twice, by the way, you will not experience the second death. If you're born once, by the way... <laughs> Jesus said, you will never see the kingdom or enter it. For you must, Nicodemus, be born of God, born of his spirit. Anothen, again, you must be born from above, born in the water of your mother's womb and born by the spirit of God. That's how you actually come alive and are a citizen and part of this kingdom and a co-heir with Christ. He's inherited everything, yes but he didn't inherit it for himself. This whole future glory and life of a new creation. We're not talking about new creations in Christ Jesus. We're born again. We're talking about resurrection bodies. We're talking about the resurrection of the entire cosmos, the new creation, all things being made new. I'm making everything new. A new order under God's government. This is what he's bringing us into. And it's so sad that people disconnect unbelief from rejection. Unbelief is rejection. When I persist, I don't believe you, Dimitri. I don't believe you, Dimitri, tells me. Trust me, I don't believe you, Dimitri. I don't believe you, Dimitri. I don't believe you. That's rejection. Well, what are you going to believe? I'll believe myself. Oh, you're going back to archaic times in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind. I don't believe God, but I'll believe Satan, or I'll believe myself. I'll be God. He won't be God. I don't want no one over me. Terrible things. Back to the scriptures. How can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? How can you say that people won't rise from the dead? If we're proclaiming what we've seen and what we know, that he's risen, and this resurrection is connected to our resurrection, we can actually believe that we will rise. We will receive this resurrection body because he is risen. If he didn't rise, maybe not. Why would I ever think that there's a resurrection body? Jesus is called the first fruit of resurrection. When you see a first crop in a field, you know that all sorts of other crops are going to pop up after that. Well, in the order of things, he's risen right now, and when he returns, we also will rise from the dead, is what the Bible says. Verse 13, here come the arguments. 
And they're not his. They're theirs, and he's arguing their arguments into rebuttals. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been, read, uh, has been raised. You Corinthians, get this. You somehow divided the two. He can be raised, but we won't be raised. If, he's not ra- if, if, he, if we're not rising, then he never rose. That's what it equals. Because his resurrection says we're going to rise. But you're saying he rose, but we're not. And I'm saying if he didn't rise, then, or if we didn't rise, then he never rose in this verse. Working with their arguments. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, now it goes to them as ones who represent Then our preaching, the apostles, the ones sent out from him to this world to preach to all creation the gospel and transfer people from a fallen creation into a new creation. Our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. It's worthless. You shouldn't be here today. This is just a club. We're just getting together to sing some songs and feel better about our lives, uh, that we have some sort of future uh, to look forward to. But if he hasn't risen from the dead, you have no future to look forward to beyond the grave. It's empty, vain. It's like chasing the wind. In the end, you end up with nothing. It was all a farce if Christ hasn't been risen from the dead. Verse 15, we are even found... Now he's adding to their preaching, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God, that he raised Christ. Man, we're like here lying to you. We're lying about God raising his son from the dead. If Christ isn't risen, we're, we're, we're a bunch of preaching liars. Because we made a testimony as I were eyewitnesses of these things. Book of Acts, over and over, we have seen these things. Whom God did not raise if it's true that the dead didn't rise. The dead are not raised. So there he is, he's connecting it again. If the dead aren't raised, then Christ didn't rise and we're liars and we're preaching to you a big lie. Verse 16. We're back to the not even Christ again. It's an echo of verse 13. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ is raised. Period. That's his point. You guys, you Greeks, you Corinthians, you can't say Christ is raised, but we're not going to rise. If the dead are not going to rise, Christ didn't rise. If your argument actually is true. But we know he rose. So you can't work your argument. We know. There's too much evidence. We know he rose. And the implied connection to us, the human race, joining it and dying for us and raising it from its fallenness to the heights of glory, he took it there. He was already there. He didn't need to take humanity there, but he took our humanity there, and he says, where I am, you will also be. And that's just an intermediate glory, an intermediate heaven. The final restoration of all creation is the final state, the final heaven, the final glory. It's far beyond the intermediate right now. There's way more than just dying right now and going to heaven and and being clothed with a heavenly body. That's not the resurrection body yet. 
That's not the final state. Verse 8, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, back to your faith and then a little addition. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Anyone who has not been liberated from the condemnation of the law towards sin is doomed. And he's saying, if he's not risen from the dead, you cannot be trusting the idea that on the day of accounts you're going to be okay. You're still in your sins. You're still a dead man walking. You're still condemned by the law. Well, I'll make a defense. You won't make a defense. The law already condemns you today. That's John 3.17, the verse that not, is not so quoted. You already stand condemned if you reject Jesus. You're already prejudged if Jesus, your Savior that's saving you from the condemnation, is not believed in or rejected. Or if he didn't rise, man, then we're doomed. I don't know how we're going to save ourselves. If in Christ... Oh, he's talking about the dead in Christ as well first. Verse 18, then those who, are, who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, have perished. Kind of like you're still in your sins, and that implies they're still in their sins, and they've perished. Do you know what perished means? It's a big word. It means to be destroyed forever. They just look it up. It's a very powerful word. And you might not think of an eternal hell or an agony without relief that has no relief forever, but the Bible actually wants you to rethink that because Jesus himself, all you have to look at is just what he says about it, and he says, away from me, you cursed. And he's talking to people when he's separating them as sheep from goats. To the ones that are on his right, he calls them to his favor. They haven't rejected them. They wanted him, and he receives them, and he says, come you on the side of my favor. Receive the kingdom which is the eternal kingdom, uh, an inheritance for you from God that has been prepared from the foundation of the world. It's eternal, it's eternal, it's eternal. Fellowship with God, the kingdom of God. Then you move on the other side and he says, away from you, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Who are those guys? The dominion of darkness, the dominion of rebellion. Can humans be part of that dominion? Absolutely. Every human being is living under it, living like it. It's Jesus that takes us out of rebellion and disobedience and all that lifestyle and all those atrocities and all those things that you think, why won't they stop? I wish God just dealt with it, destroyed it, finished it. He's going to, and it's a scary thing when he actually emphasizes hell ten times more than heaven. Why don't you just talk more about heaven? Because I'm concerned about you not believing this is real. And I'm for you and I'm not against you. I'm trying to take you out of that. I'm plundering people out of hell to populate heaven. This is what I'm doing. Listen to me. Don't reject me. Don't cut me off. Don't cut yourself off from the source of life because you have no hope of life without me. You will experience the second death, which is to exist in death forever, and it's a terrible experience. And then he says, Ta-da! Verse 20. <laughs> well, let's do the pitied one. 
Because these guys went through a lot of stuff. You know, the passion of the Christ means what he went through for us. Then Christians go through all sorts of stuff because they believe in Jesus and follow Jesus in this world. And Jesus said, it will happen to you. They'll hate you because they hated me. They'll persecute you. They'll insult you. They'll say all, thing, all sorts of terrible things that are not true about you, against you because of me. And these guys had gone through that. They, they were being punished for being believers. They, they were being whipped for being believers, stoned for being believers, uh, thrown in jail for being believers, confiscate their homes and their stuff because they're believers, thrown into the arena where lions will eat them because they're believers. There's all sorts of things that people have gone through starting from that generation all throughout the ages and even today because they're believers in Jesus. And he's saying, man, if there's no resurrection, we are the dumbest people on the planet living such a pitiful life. We are to be more pitied than anyone else on earth. What idiots spent our whole life going through this garbage, and in the end, there's nothing. And then he turns it around. And he says, but in fact, not in faith, in Fact. These guys are so certain. When you hear the word no, it means we've seen enough evidence. We've observed all the empirical stuff. We have observed enough to know this is absolutely a fact. It's reality. This is the first generation that witnessed these things. Hundreds of them have witnessed these things. They're all testifying about seeing him alive from the dead. This is a fact. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, you Corinthians. He's alive. You're going to actually get a resurrection body like his. In fact, this is all real. It's for real, man. All of it. Not it's hoping it's real. It's a fact. Your faith is based on the foundation of facts. You can actually go back and measure them. Anyone who actually ever has, even the smartest people on the planet who have ever looked into it, can't deny the facts. And then now I get why you believe what Jesus promises about the future because those facts absolutely vindicate his promises. They, they, they show that they're true. He is risen from the dead. <laughs> okay, where are we? 1210? Okay, I got three things I want to distill out of all these arguments. Three important things. Uh, they are related to the things you heard in these verses, but I, I couldn't preach on each and every one of them, so I pulled three big things that we need to know are for real. Given that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that that's a fact, then God's forgiveness of our sins is for real. If he didn't rise from the dead, you can't be sure that you will be justified on the day of accounts. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, it was for the sins of mankind. But if he didn't rise, see the Bible, Romans 4.24 says, on account of our sins, he was delivered to the cross and died. God delivered his son, sent him into this world to die on that cross. Humans only carried it out. They had no power to do so unless God the Father willed it for His Son to be sent into this world to die on that cross. And so He died for our sins. And you're thinking, is it true? I hope it's true. He died for our sins. I hope it's true. Uh, on the day of accounts, I'll just go there and say, uh, 
uh, is there a Jesus around here because he died for my sins? No, he is alive. He rose on the third day after dying for your sins. And it's his resurrection that actually is the basis of your justification you can be sure on the day of accounts when you face God even Satan may be being there this is imaginary you did this and you do that you remember that I recorded all these things I have video I have all sorts of evidence against you he did this he is wrong according to your law he should be condemned and then you're going to look at that and say I did do that and Jesus is going to say true according to the law he should be condemned but according to what I did on the cross according to the law being nailed there and all the charges held against that person that being accused by Satan. I paid for all the charges, every bit of it, full payment. There is no debt on this person. You want to know why they actually are not going to be condemned by the law here today? Because they've accepted my gift, my favor, my payment. They are not a dead man walking that's going to be condemned today. They were a dead man. They came alive in Christ. They've come here today, and they're on the side of my favor here today as one who's been bought by the blood of Jesus, has come into this forgiveness, a new covenant, and has come into life with me. This person, the law, has actually been satisfied. Jesus is law-abiding. He is just, and he's also the justifier, it says in Romans chapter 3. He's just, according to the law, he was sent as the Lamb of God to take away the guilt and the sins of our, of our world from people. Uh, and then, according to the law, he's the propitiation of God, which means he satisfied the requirements of the law that stood against us when he paid in full on the cross whatever the law required as payment for someone who's guilty. And so... The Lamb of God, God's Son, who knew no sin, as it says in the Scripture, became sin. He's like that innocent lamb that you put sin on and say, these are my sins, now you go pay for it, and the lamb gets slain. That was a picture in the Old Testament teaching us what God was going to do with his own son. He put the sins of the world on his son and had him hang on a cross and pay publicly in full for the entire world, and the whole world knows about it. And they hear about it. And we remember it and proclaim it every time we do communion. And if the world is spectating that day, they get to hear about it again. And we get to rejoice and be grateful. And they get to wonder and be convicted. And it's like, maybe this is for me. This forgiveness is real. The whole world is accountable to God through the law. That's why a lot of people preach the law first because... I don't need your Jesus, that little crutch that you have just to get through life and feel better about yourself. Well, you give him the law. How do you feel now? Because it says the whole world is accountable. That's a weak word. The whole world is hipodikos, which means the whole world is under condemnation according to the law. So we're doing the Green Mile. If you ever saw that movie, we're just headed towards condemnation. It's a sure thing. You want to face the law on the day of accounts with no Jesus to defend you as your advocate on that day? You got the greatest lawyer in the universe wanting to protect you on that day and say, this one is mine. You don't want Jesus. You're facing the law, and the law today says you're condemned. And Jesus today says, is the day of salvation with me. Come out from that. Be saved. Let's go for a second thing. Number two, given Christ is risen... The first one was, 
given his reason, risen, the forgiveness of God through Christ is real. The second one is given that Christ is risen, the preaching of the apostles, those first sent ones who went out with the gospel, and our preaching as well, because that preaching is continuing through the generations and we're all commissioned to go. We're being sent from Jesus to go and as we go, share the gospel, teach the world what Christ has commanded. Let them know at least. They might not receive it, not right away, but that conviction knocks on the hearts of every human being. And here it's saying, if he's risen, that preaching of the gospel is absolutely true. And don't underestimate the power of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It has an ability in its power to actually reach people, take hold of their lives, draw them to Christ as they hear the message of Christ. God is drawing them. Don't underestimate how the Father draws people to Jesus when they hear the word of God. He has power. It's not you that leads people to Jesus. You're only an usher. It's God that's drawing them and using you as the proclamation is happening. But unless he draws them, Jesus said they will never, you'll, you'll, you can never come. You can never believe in me. So God, the Father, is the one who actually does the birthing work and the drawing in. We receive the word of God. We hold, thank you, Lord, you gave me this faith, I believe. And we proclaim and call out, you're real. You are Lord. He calls us in an invitational way. He, uh, and, and we call back in a receptive way, saved by grace through faith. Faith says, I receive this. I'm not going to reject your favor. I'm not throwing away this gift. I'm not throwing away this future. I'm not going to keep rejecting you with unbelief. Now, the resurrection of Jesus that backs the gospel, it's the resurrection that thrusts them out. When they actually saw Jesus risen from the dead, they were willing to be bold, willing witnesses for Christ in this world, even though Jesus said, man, they're going to mistreat you. In this world, you will have suffering. Those who suffer with Christ will be glorified with Christ. That's a scary thing. But, if I saw Jesus alive from the dead, I can't walk away from that. His half-brother who thought he was a lunatic at some point thinking he was the son of God, his half-brother was willing to die for the testimony of Jesus being risen from the dead because he saw him alive from the dead. Yes, he's my half-brother, but man, no, he's the son of God, I believe. Acts 1.3 says about those who encountered the risen Christ alive from the dead. It says Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. In fact, he is risen. In fact, he is risen. Proof, proof, evidence, proof. He gave them many convincing proofs. This is after he rose from the dead. That he was alive that he was not a ghost. They saw him. They ate with him. They skinned fish with him. They fellowshiped with him. It was not a, a, a session where they all smoked up together around the fire after going fishing and somehow in that entire time of preparing the fish and cooking the fish and eating with Jesus, they all seven hallucinated that Jesus had was there with fellowshipping with them. 
They actually fellowshiped not with a ghost. They ate with Jesus on that shore. It says for 40 days he appeared and spoke to a long list of eyewitnesses. <laughs> he spoke to them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. It wasn't one visit. It was visit after visit after visit after visit after visit, different occasions, different people. Sometimes it, well, one, on one occasion it was over 500 people. He appeared to the 12 without, or sorry, it wasn't 12, it was 10. Uh, and it, Thomas wasn't there. And they saw him alive from the dead. They didn't believe Mary when she saw him alive from the dead just because she got to see him first and tell them, hey, he's going ahead of you. He's alive. You're going to see him too because he says he's going to Galilee. Ah, you're just hallucinating. And then they see him, eyewitnesses, and they're telling Thomas, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm, not until I see the, the, the actual holes in his hands and I put my finger inside there so that I know I'm not seeing a ghost or an apparition. Not till I take my hand and stick it in the side where they stuck the spear to make sure he was dead. I won't believe that he's alive from the dead. And then Jesus appears one week later and there's Thomas. He sees them and Jesus is saying, hey, Thomas, take your finger and put it in the holes. Take your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And we all doubt. And we're all being invited to trust him and believe in him. And those who trust him will not be disappointed. And on the day of accounts, they will not be put to shame. They will be called on the side of his favor and covered by him. Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. He opened their mind. He talked to them. Their hearts were burning as he was speaking. Some people believe that he was maybe cloaked in the walk or whatever. Didn't fully know that it was actually him. And he was just playing with them a bit and then convincing them through the prophecies <laughs> that he was the one. And the resurrection needed to happen. And they had communion with him. And suddenly, the whoa! And then he disappears. And then these guys run and want to tell the disciples and others who were gathered together in some sort of secret hidden place because they were afraid. We saw the Lord. And it's like, we did too. And so did I. And Peter's like, so did I. I encountered him when I ran there and I found an empty tomb. And on the way, I, I saw him too. And then you got the fishing experience. It's the Lord. And they jump and they have breakfast with him on the beach. And the 500, that is not a massive hallucination where those 500 people saw him alive from the dead. He's making sure he's leaving a long lineup for any courtroom that wants to examine this. I don't know how you'd go through that many eyewitnesses, but it'd probably take a long time. You go through two or three eyewitnesses in court cases these days, and they, they, they're enough to substantiate the truth and the facts. Imagine hundreds. <laughs> anyway, they saw him when it was time for the Great Commission to be heard, go and make disciples. They saw him alive from the dead there, and they also saw him at the mountain where he blessed them and he ascended right before their eyes. Now, this is not resurrection only. This is ascension. At one point in time in John 6, he was saying he came down from heaven. He's the bread of life that came down from heaven. If you eat this bread, you won't die. You will live. Receive me, receive me, receive me. And, and it offended 
So many people that day, including his own disciples that was, he was teaching along the way, they departed from him. It offended them. And Jesus talked about, you guys want to leave too? He looked at the 12. Does this offend you? How about this? We're, what if you were to see me go back up from where I said I came down from? Will you then believe that I was in heaven, came down, and became human, and dwelt among you? W will that make you more convinced? And then he lets them see him ascend right up to the place where he came from through the clouds. And they're like looking and looking because they want to still see Jesus beyond those clouds. And then two angels appear because angels always appear at significant moments. And they say, what are you guys sitting there looking at the sky and the clouds for? The same Jesus who went up, is going to come back down the same way. At the trumpet sound, at the voice of the archangel, he will descend and the dead in Christ will rise. It's not only his resurrection. We inherit a resurrection as co-heirs with Christ as well. We are part of this future glory. I don't want to be a floating angel forever. I hate that image. Or sorry, a floating spirit. That's the weirdest cartoon I've ever seen. That's the most boring thing I've ever, ever, ever. That, that's your revelation of the future with God? Sick. Eh, play on a cloud forever. No way. That's not where things are going. The final state of things. I'll finish with this. Given Christ is risen from the dead, the final state of those who have trusted him and put their faith in him, believe and continue to walk by faith in the things he says and promises, being convinced that he's risen from the dead and what he says is true. By faith, I'm heading towards all of that. There's no way I'm going to depart from this. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ, their final state here on earth is to be more envied than anything else that you could ever see on earth. Because if you really know where things are going and you really become convinced and you know a believer has that, you will want it too. You will envy it. You will desire it. You'll say, that's the most desirable thing I've ever heard of. If it's real. Blessed are those, Jesus said, makarios. Oh, makari, Dimitri. Which means, oh, I wish I were you. You have all that, and I'm completely broke. Spiritually, I'm broke. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You're getting closer now. <laughs> uh, how do I come into this, Dimitri? How fortunate are those who come into it? Makarios. How happy. I just want to be happy. How happy are those who will come into this? How to be envied are those who have this. What do they have? Where's, there, where's all this going? <laughs> Here's the final uppercut in the whole thing. Where he is going to be, we will also be with him. That's too general, isn't it? Uh, those whose lives are right now hidden in Christ, when he appears at his second coming, we will appear with him in glory, Colossians 3. <laughs> it's going to get even more detailed here. 
in Romans 8. You've read the latter half of Romans 8. It says all thesis, all creation, that's us and the rest of creation. I talked about circles before, the four living creatures, the 24, the, uh, the swirling angels, and all of creation beyond that, humans who have dominion over the earth, and all the creatures on earth, birds, uh, uh, aquatic creatures, all of them actually are part of that creation that God willed by his own will to come into existence. That's the creation song to the creator in Revelation 4. And then there's a redeemer's song in Revelation 5. All creation is groaning sistenazo together. Sistenazo means there's a constant groan for this. It's not like, oh, I wish it was here already. It's constant groaning and anticipation and expectation of what? of the sons of God, that's male or female, when this sons of God declaration is made because it's an inheritance understanding. My wife is part of the sons of God that will be revealed. What revelation? What's the reveal? Man, you went into your mother's womb, then you were born into the kingdom, and now in this world it's just a second womb heading towards a new creation. There's way more beyond what we've seen and experienced here on earth. There is a glory that is still untold. We know it's real. We're anticipating it. Creation is longing for it. When mankind fell and chose to move away from God and out from under God, chaos, no one will be over me, no one will tell me what to do. We took all of creation and God made it so. All of creation fell with us into death and decay. And all the horrendous things you look back in history and say, that's terrible. And creation is groaning with us who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in us. We're longing and groaning along with creation for something. What is it? The reveal, the revelation of the sons of God. What is that? The restoration of our lives made complete. You are not yet complete. You've been born again by God's Spirit. That's an internal restoration that's taking place. The external is you will receive a new resurrection, glorious, immortal, immortal, incorruptible body like Jesus's that never dies. That's when you are fully restored and fully revealed as this is what I paid for with my blood. And then all of creation will be liberated from death and decay and corruption finally this mankind brought us into this fall finally we get freed from death and all of creation will become a new creation I am making all things new a new heaven and a new earth they won't even be separate anymore they will be together the realms will not be separate anymore angels and mankind we will dwell together we will see each other God will be in an abiding place, a new earth, some call it. Here, glorious, beautiful, new earth. He will be with us as our God. We will be with him as, as his people. He will wipe away everything in the past that caused tears under his governing order. That stuff will not continue. We're free from that, and we're being brought into a glory where there's no more death. No more mourning. You're not going to be crying for the great, greatest loss that exists, which is death. There's no more death. He is risen. We will rise. We will never die again. He won't die. We won't die. No more death. No more mourning. No more pain. 
That's not what his kingdom is about. I can barely imagine these things. It's, they're declarations, but it's like that's what we're headed towards? Far be it from me to ever depart for something so much lesser in this world or trade it off. I'm going to continue in the gospel. What I heard, what I believe. That's the first part of this chapter, by the way. It says it depends on you continuing in it. I know we say once saved, always saved, and we make up all this easy theology. It's a covenant relationship with him from beginning to end. We work out this relationship with fear and trembling with him from beginning to end. We trust him. We fear him. We believe in him. We continue even through hard things with him into this glory. That's where he's taken us. My last word is <laughs> this is a promise of unimaginable glory to all those who are in Christ. They are to be envied, even though the world doesn't see this. This is the most enviable thing to have. We are the most fortunate people on the planet right now. The least fortunate are the lost, those who are still have not crossed over from death to life yet. And so, Christ's resurrection <laughs> and our resurrection unto this glorious future is for real.